My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and you're about to listen to a series of interviews that took place over nine months. I want to know what life would be like for a child that had been through domestic abuse, parental mental health, poverty, and exploitation, to name a few. What would happen if we created a team, an army almost, to support that child? 28 people were interviewed, all with the same question in mind. What could have been different for child B? You're about to listen to Blondie's People. So follow us on our journey where I will speak to everyone from George the Poet to some of my good friends as we discover what it takes to become one of Blondie's people. Within these episodes, you will find answers, you will find guidance, and most of all, you will find an insight to a world that many do not know. There's a trigger warning for some of these episodes, and some of them are not child-friendly. We're going to talk about things that are very, very raw and real. So kick back and get ready for a journey, a journey you will not forget. Welcome to Blondie's People. Welcome to episode 22 of Blondie's People. In this episode, we're going to speak to Dr. Simon Harding. Simon Harding is somebody who I have watched for a long time, read for a long time. And he his studies on gangs and the structure of gangs and exploitation are unlike any other that I've seen. He focuses on street capital theory and social field theory, something that now looking back as an adult at a young person involved in gangs, it's crazy to think that we didn't know that stuff then. And if Blondie or the people around Blondie had known about how that actually operated, they may have understood her a little bit better. And I hope by you listening to this episode, it will help you understand how the structure of gangs and exploitation actually works. Right, my name is Kendra Houseman and these videos are for Blondie's people. People that I admire now, most definitely, but people that if they'd been there for me as a child or any young person, um, there would have been a difference. Today's guest, I can't even. So, who are you and what do you do? So, my name is Simon Harding. I'm Dr. Simon Harding. I am a professor in criminology at the University of West London. I am also the director of the National Centre for Gang Research, which is based at the University of West London. It sounds very important. And also it sounds like something like nobody would know about. I didn't even know that really existed until I started researching it. So you've been, you're gonna come and answer some questions. I'm a bit excited because this is like hearing it from like the top dog. That's what I'm gonna say, you're the top one. So are you ready for my questions? I am, Kendra, go ahead. <laughs> so your new book that's, that you've just um, published is around county lines, and obviously we've talked about this, but I want to ask you, everyone's using this term county lines. Is it new? Like, is county lines just suddenly appeared, or has it always been there? There it is! <laughs> oh, I want it! <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's on its way to you. Thank um, you. Yeah, so county lines, is it new? Well, actually, no. It isn't. Uh, it's been around for quite a while and probably a lot longer than we think. Okay. It, it's only recently that we've begun to um, name it in this way and to identify it in this way. So it has been ongoing for quite a while. It's a little bit like uh, modern day slavery, yeah. child exploitation. These things are not new either. Gangs are not new. No. They've been going on for a while. We've just used different terms. Sometimes we've seen them, uh, but not named them, or we haven't been able to identify them. Sometimes they're obscured. 
Uh, and sometimes there are people um, who have been involved and they, they've been there and done that like yourself. And uh, so they know also it's, it's, mm. it's, not, it's not a new phenomenon. It has, however, changed in the way that it's done. Okay. And there's more of it. It's more, uh, it's a tougher game than it was before. And there are more people involved in it. So I think that's probably why it's come to a higher level of visibility. How long do you, would you say that you've been aware of it? Like when did it first come sort of to foremost to you that you was like, oh, okay. on, on my radar? Yeah. I would, I would say maybe about 2012, uh, maybe a little bit before that, I would hear stories of people just going country, going yeah. conch, and, uh, or going out there. You know, these are London terms, I think. I yeah. think other parts of the country would have different terminology. Uh, but I became aware of that. And I, I guess I thought it was a fairly um, small affair. It was just something that a few people would do occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I, did, I didn't see it as being something that was necessarily widespread. And I didn't see it as being something that was um, a, a kind of major thing. No. Uh, we said, didn't we, there's not a lot of writing before 2015 on county lines, like through my dissertation, I'm struggling and that's why we're doing this. You know, it's interesting that it's 2012, I think, is when people started really noticing it. Yeah, and, and probably about 2014, 2015, before anybody started really writing about it. Yeah. And uh, even even criminologists like myself, uh, kind of a bit late to the game on this one, I think. Um, I would have loved to have had that book out two years ago, but yes. it took, took me two years to write it. But I've certainly been um, training people on this. I've been talking about it for four or five years now. And uh, my research has taken me deeper and deeper into this particular world. Uh, and then again, about 2016, the the police began to be uh, more um what's the word just on top of it yeah. and, and the national crime agency uh, was established and they've written now a few briefing papers yeah. on it so that's a quite a good place to start if you want to just um uh, gen up on what well, what the main issues are but there, there are quite a few number of reports about it. And in the last couple of years, because it's linked to human slavery and child exploitation, yeah. lots of different kind of um, charities have got involved, which is good. And uh, there's lots of different reports and perspectives. So it's, it's suddenly become quite an active area in terms of writing and research. And it's, it's interesting to know that we're sort of, me and you are, have come to the same sort of point on that. We know that this is where it should be. So this leads me on to my next question. And I always like to find out where people are coming from. So why did you become interested in gangs and exploitation? Why did that, how did that come about for you? Wow, that's a big question. Well, uh, I've, I've worked in it professionally for a, about 25 years or more. Okay. Uh, so quite a long time. I've been involved in a whole range of different um, uh, strategies and reports about gangs. Uh, but to jump to the very nub of your question, I almost uh, 30 years ago now, I lived on a pretty rough estate in uh, South London, uh, Angel Town Estate. Yep, and, well. uh, yeah. 
And actually, it's more than 30 years ago. We're talking 1985 here. So, you know, it's... Um, 35 yeah, years ago. Yeah, <laughs> quite a while back. And um, I just saw various things happen. I had a one-bed flat there that I'd been... Um, I, I lived in on my own. I was just a, a young kind of party boy. And I would see lots of things going on in and around the estate. Um, and, and some of it made sense and some of it didn't. And it was only really later when I began to kind of piece it all together in my head. I thought, yeah, that's what that was. And that's what this was, you know. And there was drug dealing and, and you know, there, there, there was even a local cab company called Home James. And yeah, if you home went, James. Home James. If, if you went downstairs yes. in the cab office and you asked for the right thing, yeah. they, would, they would serve the drugs to you there and then. Yes. So, you know, I was aware all these things were going on. And then sadly, later on, uh, the violence began to increase. Yeah. That got worse and worse. And um, I moved away to a different part of town. Uh, I, moved, uh, I moved away to a different part of Lambeth. Um, but what was interesting was I always promised myself that I would go back there and I would try and uh, lift the layers of the onion to get underneath the skin of what was going on. And I managed to do that uh, in 2010, 2012, when I was doing my doctorate. And then I wrote my book, uh, The Street Casino. And the, the opening few pages talks about uh, my experience living there. And I did go back. I went back and I um, did my research there. And I, I really found it fascinating. So, so I have both a personal and a professional link into this world. This brings me on to why you're part of Blondie's People. So the reason you are is because I've used your work all through my adult life and just sort of watched you from afar, watching it unfold. And then I asked you to do this. And within about five seconds, it become apparent that we have lived in the same area at the same time, experiencing yeah. the same things in different ways, but we've lived there. And now, I mean, I am nowhere near your level, but now we're sitting here as professionals talking about it and looking to make change and it blows my head like wow so that is why you're here and you've earned your place more than anyone i'm just like look at this and it just shows you life can lead you anywhere it certainly can it's um it's it's not where you start it's where you finish exactly and yeah and uh you know thank you very much um for asking me i'm delighted to make that connection i'm always thrilled and excited when people just randomly reach out and say, I'm here, here's my experience, this is what I know, can I share that with you? And I, will, I really, really like that. So um, that's why I came straight back to you. That's why I about, it definitely works people, it's straight back to me. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna ask you a, a question that some people agree with don't, don't with a C. Do you think that females are underrepresented um, in research around gangs and county lines? Oh, absolutely. Thank God, yes! I, I oh, that is. Absolutely. Well, um, a number of reasons, but uh, first and foremost, because um, criminology has, for a very long time, been a very male-dominated kind of topic area. And yep. uh, a lot of the research uh, goes to, you know, white men, and a lot of the writing, white men. And they come to the research with a very white male perspective and they they don't really uh, inquire deeply enough into the role of women and one of the issues with with gangs 
in particular is that the, the very kind of notion of gangs, the definition of it, the way we think of it, we think young men yeah. causing violence and causing trouble. And uh, in, in the academic writing here in the UK and also in America, that is what you find 90, 95% of the time. Yeah. So girls, young women, they're not, they don't get enough look in, they don't get researched. And what's interesting, and you'll know this, Kendra, is that they're there, they're part of it, uh, as much as the boys, yeah. but they just do it in a different way. Exactly that. Yeah, just in a different way. So if I can kind of summarize it, um, boys and young men bring the violence and the threat of violence. And girls and young women sit slightly to the side of that and they bring skill, they bring information, and uh, that's how they kind of edge their way up the ranks slightly. And the more information and knowledge you have that you, that you can share, the more trust you will get from the boys. And if they trust you, they'll give you more information. And you can trade that information. You can trade it for a bit of weed. You can trade it for uh, maybe a bit of money, a bit of love and affection, or maybe just San Andrews at the weekend. But you can trade that. Uh, and if you have trust and you have information to share, you're in a good position. You have power. And uh, yeah, exactly. The, the boys will then get you to do banking. They'll get you to wash some money. They will get you to hire cars for them, those kind of things. However, if you don't have trust, you don't get the information. And people don't trust you. They don't want to be around you. They, they treat you in a very different way. And they might just get you to do something kind of cheap and obvious, like hide drugs, hide a gun or a weapon. And so there's still a little bit of trust there. But then some young girls uh, are in a really bad position. They get no respect, they get no trust or anything. And they're just treated like, like slags and hoes and, and sluts. And, and they're just kind of passed around the boys, basically. Exactly. Like and that, yeah. sexually exploited. And that, that's a pretty horrible place to be. So, um, yeah, I've written about this in the street casino. And I, I still recognize it whenever I go out there. And I've interviewed young women at all of these positions, you know, the very top and the middle, and sadly the very, you know, the ones who are really exploited. And it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a, an ugly place to be. It's not safe because they're very vulnerable. Um, so yeah, I, I recognize it, I've written about it, and I just wish we could get more of this out there because yeah. it needs to be. Well, you've come to the right person because my whole aim is when I write my dissertation and get my master's, my next step will be to look at publishing work around girls involved in exploitation and gangs because there is nothing out there for my own dissertation. So I'm yep. using your stuff from um, Street Casino, but that's about it. I haven't got much more. So let me just mark it now that for me, that's going to change. <laughs> well, I'm really pleased. And you're exactly the kind of person that should be doing a criminology degree. Wow. 
Okay. And you're exactly the kind of person that should be uh, writing about this. You know, if, even if it's not for your um, dissertation, you can go on, you can write a, a book about this, you could get grant funding and do a research piece about it, and then publish it as your own book. So the, the world's going to be your oyster now, I think, uh, Kendra. You saying that, as, I've gone a bit like, whoa, because it's hard, it's hard for me as a white female to get accepted talking about gangs. And you're sitting there at the top going to me, yeah, absolutely, you can do that. And it's a bit like, what well, am I going to then? Because you're the one person that could say to me, oh, it's, a hard, it's hard, but you're going to me, no, you're the right person to do that. So thank you. I, mm. you, are, you are the right person. And, and just, a, just a point on, on, um, on colour, ethnicity, I know it's, I know it's the, the big thing at the moment. <clears throat> but what I would say, and you will also know this, is that um, gangs come from poverty and deprivation. Yeah. And, yeah, and if you're on that estate, Regardless of what colour you are, you know, whether you're Black African, Black Caribbean, whether you're white, Eastern European, or mixed parentage, if you're there and you're chilling with everybody else and you're running on roads with everybody else and you're from that area and they've all got your back and that's your bros and your brows and your fam, then it doesn't matter what colour you are because you're part of it. So, you know, if, if that was your experience, you've got every right to write about these things the same as anybody else who was there and who's done it. Exploitation isn't picky. They don't mind where you're from or who you are. You know, people that are going to exploit will do it to anyone. And that's the truth. Correct. Talking Correct. about poverty, it's like we've planned this, bang on. Um, you talk about um, street capital in, in your book, right? Now, I know exactly what that is. And when I read it, I was like, Oh, that is explained perfectly what it feels like. So for anyone who doesn't know what street capital is, can you explain to us what that is? Yeah, of course. So street capital is something that really works on road. It's something that really works uh, in kind of um, gang circles. Uh, now, when you're um, a professional person or an academic, I might go to conferences. I might try and learn some things, meet some people through networking. And we would call that building social capital or cultural capital. Yeah. Uh, capital being, um, you know, a, a bit like a, a casino chip or, or, or something that you could put in your pocket. It's like a currency, but it's not yeah. really a currency. Now, of course, if you're running with a gang, if you're a gang banger or whatever, none of that stuff really matters. It's not important to you. What is important to you is whether or not you know how to evade the police when they're coming onto your estate. <laughs> Do you know how to get off the estate through that way or that way or over the roofs that way? Um, can, you, can you roll a joint with one hand? You know, That's natural skill, like if you could, it roll, is a skill. If you could roll a, a joint with one hand on my estate, you could be anyone, they would have you sitting there literally that's how you, some people got into the gang by about just sitting there and rolling joints correct and then they would teach the youngers how to do it and the youngers would would kind of go wow you know this guy's the best and you know another one might be um uh, knowing where sorry it's an ugly example but yeah. knowing where to stab somebody Absolutely. yeah now yeah now your average person in the high street w would not know but within gang culture and gang life, yep. you kind of get taught this and you know where it's going to be effective, you know where it's going to be not yep. effective, 
and sometimes you want to stab somebody where it's not effective because you just want to teach them a lesson now all of those kind of things are what i would call street capital and if you know them your street capital kind of builds up and increases and if you don't know it it falls yeah it falls down so street capital is really it's a bit like a stock market or a bank uh, bank account uh, that you have and i have and everybody has and it can go up but it can go down yeah. and if you are disrespected then it's going to drop and you'll then become vulnerable and other people will try and pile in on you so you've got to keep your street capital high and you've got to be hyper vigilant all the time. You've not got to let anybody disrespect you because then your street capital will fall and then you'll become a victim. So that's what street capital is. And I, I, I think it's a way that, that uh, all of these kind of things run. Youth violence runs like that, but in the gang, it's even more pronounced. Yeah. It's, it's even hotter and harder than it is elsewhere. So that's what I think street capital is. When I read that, I was like, that's exactly what it's like and something else as well i don't know if it's the same with with casino chips you're as oh, i was growing up you're always trying to take everyone else's so if somebody is a horse has got some street capital capital that you can take you almost will gamble yours to take theirs and that's saying when i read that i was like oh because i've risked things to try and get exactly. stuff yeah so that exactly. mad. It, <laughs> but you know, you can even see that in, in rap music and rap battles and drill performance. You know, it's a kind of uh, performance way of taking somebody's chips yeah. on them. Uh, and, and, you know, you win, they lose. It's that kind of thing. But it's just that in street worlds, in, in street yeah. gangs, it's, it's usually pretty violent. Um, and it's all about respect, being respected or disrespecting somebody. Yeah. And if you disrespect them, you grab their chips and yeah. put it in your own bank account. And, and then they're coming after you because they've got to get it back. So it's this constant up and down and up and down every minute of the day. Ooh, and yeah. it's very stressful. And, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of trauma and a lot of stress involved, I think. I just think it's professionals need to understand that concept. That concept there would help a lot of professionals to understand why these kids are out there on the grind every day because you don't get a rest day. Yeah, you don't get a rest day in a gang, you don't. I agree with you. And why they are also um, promoting themselves on social media, you know, in their bedrooms, lying with their, their, their duvet covered with money and guns and drugs. It may be fake, it may not, who knows, but they're, they're repping themselves and they're repping their, their, their boys, their area, and they're boosting their street capital all the time. That's what, that's what it's all about. Such a great analogy, honestly. Like I, I, anyway, yes. So I'm glad you explained that. I think that if anyone listening to that, we now sort of see that concept of gangs. Well, I'm I'm glad too that it works for you and you recognise it because for me as an academic, it's important to hear the feedback from people who have been involved and they've been around it, like you. And for you to be able to say, yeah, I get it. That is how it works. That that's very good for me to hear. So thank you. I don't know if you meant this aspect as well. I've got to add it because I think this. You know, when people go to a casino, it's quite exciting, and they go there yeah. to buzz. I will yeah. say this, not every part of my involvement in gangs was scary and terrifying. I had some I'm of the sure. best times in my life. And there would be times that you'd go into a situation and you did not know the outcome. You could come out dead or lose everything or come out 
an increased something. So when you use the, the terms, even just the casino, that's exactly what it feels like, a complete buzz most of the time. And then a real low when it all goes wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And people go into it, they go into a casino thinking they're going to win. Yes. They go into a street gang thinking, I'm going to win. Yeah. I'm going to make big money. I'm going to get the girls. I'm going to get the cars, the drugs, the glamour, the life, the excitement, the adrenaline. And they may do. They may get some of that for a while. Uh, but then eventually it starts kind of tailing off. And, uh, and then the, the, the threats, harassment, the violence come. It's no longer fun. You can't tell anybody about it. You can't tell the police. You can't tell your parents. Your world starts to close in, gets smaller and smaller. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good place. And, you know, to stick with that metaphor of uh, the casino or the street casino, I've, I wrote at the end of the, uh, the book, The House Always Wins. Yeah, I, I know you did. When I saw that, and that's exactly what it's like, I used to, I, I remember sitting there with this group of boys thinking, no matter what we do, they're always going to win. And I said it out loud and everyone just looked at me and I thought, right, be keep quiet. But I'd already clocked that from really young. Like, we can't win. We're just here putting our chips in the game. Yeah. Mad that you... Anyway, yeah. So, so that analogy, people have to read your book to get that in their heads. Because once you get that part of it, you look at kids and go, ah, that's what... That's why they're... That's what it's all about. And it's a bit like seeing the Matrix. Once you've seen yeah. the Matrix, you cannot go back. That's exactly it. Everyone go get that book. I'm pointing like this, so I'm going to put the book down here, because once you read it, gangs or not, you're going to go, oh, right, and it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, good. I, th I think so, too. Okay, with lockdown starting to come to an end, and it's good that we're having an interview today, because they're going mad now saying, this is happening, that's happening. Do you think we're going to see an increase in youth violence and crime as we come out of lockdown? How do you think that looks? Yeah, I do think we are going to see exactly that for a number of reasons, because over the past uh, two or three months, whether you've been in lockdown or not, everything has changed up. So some uh, young men, I say young men because it's largely, but not exclusively. So some young people will have uh, been on lockdown with their families. So if they were running a county line, that line is either no longer running yep. or the police have shut it down or he sold it on to a mate or somebody's taken it over as we come out of lockdown he's realizing well i've got no money yeah i've got you know i've, I've got no food where where am i going to get no my money in the game. all my chips in the game have gone correct and i'm starting to fall and as a result of that i'm probably going to be victimized or vulnerable yes. so i've got to get back in the game so uh there will be people who have taken over county lines, people who have, um, you know, lost money, and there's going to be a whole reckoning around a lot of that. The other thing that's been happening is some young people have been not doing lockdown. They've been out um, grinding all the time, yeah. partly because they, you know, they, they want to stay in the game. They don't want to lose their chips. But sometimes Everyone else in the family is either unemployed or furloughed, and they're the only kids, the only people in the family who can bring money in and put something on the table uh, and keep something in the fridge. And that is important. And, uh, you know, so there's that element too. And then uh, thirdly, there's a whole group of young people who have just been sitting bored off their skulls 
in their bedroom on their laptops and computers and they've been getting more and more uh, interested in all of this stuff some of them will have got kind of cozy up with the gang uh, yeah, grooming, maybe being groomed without realizing it, uh, maybe just watching drill videos and then liking things and then somebody's approached them and conversations are now happening. And then other young people do what young people do, Kendra. They, uh, they go online and they piss somebody off. <laughs> And they, 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 they're too free. All can of worms. All can of worms. Yeah, Pandora's box just opens up. And, uh, you know, somebody's going to come for them for revenge. Yeah. Uh, so all of these things are going to happen. And they're happening now, I think, already. It's scary, isn't it, to think what we're going to be going into anytime soon. But it is what it is. We can't, you know, change it. Well, the police have had some success in shutting some lines down yes. over the past couple of months. And they have been able to target some individuals and they've, they've knocked on their doors, they've written to them and they've said, look, we know what you're up to. Yeah. We're going to give you a chance to stop that and try and get a job. Otherwise, we're going to come after you. And, and I kind of understand that. But the only reason they've had success with that is because they know these kids are at home because of lockdown because otherwise they would not perhaps be able to get hold of them. So it's been a strange time, but um, as we come out of it, it's going to be, uh, there'll be a bit of a shakedown, I think. I think so. It, I'm, I'm going to watch it closely because it interests me to see how it sort of comes around. Okay, it's our last question. What do you think needs to happen in the UK to start reduction of county lines? Now that's a ma massive question, I know that. And I don't expect you to come to the answers, but the whole reason for Blondie's people is, is for me to look how we support these young people. So I'm asking at the top, I might as well, what do you think needs to happen to reduce county lines? Right, well, uh, it is a big question. Um, I'll take it at two ends. I'll take it at the top end and the bottom end. Okay. So at the top end, all of this money that we find to put into uh, coronavirus and etc., we need to take just some of that and put that into these deprived areas yes. and deprived estates, yeah? Because otherwise it's just a revolving door. You can work with as many young people as you want to, but if they're going back to the same shitty estate or, or the same kind of, you know, crappy, deprived, poverty lifestyle that they came from, what's the point? So you've got to address the poverty, and that means investment. And if we can find, you know a billion pounds for potholes, we can find a billion pounds for putting into these estates, okay? So that's number one. Uh, number two, I think, is perhaps looking at the other end. It's about working with young people, uh, it, you know, all, all, over the, all over the place. So we've cut far too many youth services and youth clubs. We need to invest in those. We need uh, youth outreach work yeah. so that the, the workers are actually going out to people because you can't expect young people to trail across three boroughs to get to uh, a youth club that's open for two hours on a wet Tuesday to play ping pong. That's not gonna happen. So, you know, we need to have something that's much more inventive. We need to create music studios. We need to create photography studios. We need to train people up in uh, all kinds of skills, you know, not just the obvious ones like hairdressing and oh. boxing and fixing cars, you know, it has to be more inventive. Yeah. Uh, so that has to be done. And then we have to work with schools because um, 
one thing that we don't do is we don't teach our young people early enough about what all of this world is like. We kind of, we can't, they, 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 they know pretty soon, by the, about the ages of 12 or 13, they know that this world is really out there and that's what reality is like for a lot of people. But we don't skill them in how to deal with it. So if you're a young person and I approach you uh, about hiding something, dealing drugs or getting involved, you're not really equipped with the vocabulary to be able to say, I'm not really, I'm not really interested. Thank you. I'm not going to get involved in that. Thanks for asking, but no. Now, that's kind of what an adult might say, but young people don't have that. They're not equipped with that. And we need to build the resilience amongst young people and the confidence and the capacity to allow them to, to kind of speak like that and share those moments. So I, I think early intervention with young people, don't hide from them. No. Don't hide from them that drugs are out there, violence is out there, knives are out there. They know all that. Uh, we've got to help them and skill them and tell them and make them aware. And then, and then you know, they're, they're more prepared, I think. That's what I would do. That's what they should be doing. That's what they yes. should do. Yes, I agree. It's what they should be doing. I mean, there's lots more stuff. Sometimes these debates get very focused on policing. Yes. Policing is just one part of this. There's, there's so much more that can be done. And, and policing is really only a small part of this. Um, you know, if, if you want to tackle county lines, you've got to improve the services for uh, the users, the people who are using heroin and crack cocaine. Those services are crap. They are. They're well intentioned, but they're just not good enough. They're not. There's, there's not enough of them. Uh, the, you know, there's not enough investment. That's what I mean. Really? And, and we need to do far better about that. So the, the stuff that can be done there, the yeah. stuff that can be done around families, stuff around schools, there's lots of different areas. So please, if you're watching this, don't think this is all about policing and all about enforcement, because that is a small part of it. And Blondie's people is all based, when it all comes together, and I think people are starting to realise, what I'm showing is, is there is no one answer. If you want to um, stop children being involved in this stuff, it takes a village to raise a child. And I'm bringing in, I'm bringing everyone that I think personally is an expert in their area, and then I'm going to present it in one and say, if you had all of these kind of people around a child, then we'd have a chance. But there is no one answer. And I think that's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. There's no one answer. There's lots of different things. And what works in one part of the country may not necessarily work in another part of the country. So you can't take kind of off the shelf solutions and just plonk it down and think that's it. We've got this solved. Yeah, that's not going to work either. You've got to work with local people and you've got to get that kind of um, community engagement from local people, too. If you do all those things, then you might have a start. I agree with you. Interviewing you today has been taught, it's been like talking to an old friend, even though this is the first time we've met face to face. But it's also been like talking to someone who maybe knows what I went through, kind of, if it makes sense, even though you never lived it. And I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. Say goodbye to everyone. You're welcome, Kendra. Thank you for asking me. And uh, I'll, I'll be happy to speak to you again i'm sure at some point and uh yeah goodbye everyone thank you you know if you want to know more about it um uh, check out my website try and you know engage with the books they're really readable they're not kind of um 
hoity-toity academic, you know, too too high for it and stuff. So um, I'm sure you'll find it very interesting. But uh, nice to talk to you, everyone. Take care, Kendra.